Imagine being the most powerful man in the world, consumed in wars with the Germanic tribes of Europe on the edge of the great wilderness of chaos. You sit down just a few miles from the enemy's camp, and you write down how blessed you are, how much you appreciate your parents and your teachers. You ponder life and lessons learned. You are not just reading about stoicism. You are in the arena of life living it. So let's go meet Marcus Aurelius and explore his meditations. Maybe you got lost somewhere swimming too far off the beach off the coastline and from you. Hello everyone and welcome to the cause. My name is Rob and today we're going to be going over the seventh book in the second volume of the Harvard Classic series, Meditations, by the one and only Marcus Aurelius. Marcus is a truly remarkable figure in history and many influential people throughout history have read his little journal. So let's set up the context and the background real quick, and then we'll dive into the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. So in the Harvard Classics, there's a history and a philosophy section for Marcus Aurelius. So I will, I will dive deeper into the history and the philosophy of Marcus Aurelius in the next video. So we're going to kind of gloss over a lot of the history here. We'll kind of keep it just very short. So be on the lookout for that one. So it's pretty well known that Marcus Aurelius was a Roman emperor, and he would rule between 161 A.D., in 180 AD, so almost 20 years. And his death would be kind of a turning point for the Roman Empire. It would it would never be at that peak again. It would slowly decline, and the western section of the Roman Empire would decline a lot faster than the eastern side. Most of his reign was spent fighting the Germanic tribes of Europe. And if you have seen the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe, he's the old man in the beginning in the wagon um, who would... Uh, be killed pretty early on. Now, Marcus would keep a journal or a diary. And like most historians, I don't believe this journal was ever meant to get out. I don't think he was writing it for the for the public by any means. The journal repeats concepts and ideas, and it's kind of repetitive. It's not edited very well at all. Nobody kind of went through and cleaned it up or anything. And I've kept a journal in the past, and it's a good way to write down things you're struggling with, to analyze the issues you're facing, and then come up with ways to kind of fix them. To me, this is what his journal was all about. And I truly don't believe that Marcus was as perfect as the journal kind of portrays him. I personally believe he's writing these things down over and over because he struggles with them. It appears that he fears death and losing this amazing life that he has because he constantly is writing down how it doesn't matter. When I look back at my own journal, the things that I had focused the most pages on and kind of repeated myself over and over were the issues that I actually struggled with the most. So by reading the journal, you may not notice whenever I say, for example, make sure every morning your day is planned or the day will control you instead of you controlling your day. Now that sounds great when I wrote it, but I wrote that down because I suck at it. I know what I should be doing, but for the life of me, sometimes I just can't do it. Like I wake up and I just start reacting to the day. I get halfway through the day and I'm like, gosh, I need to I need to start planning out my day better. Reading through meditations the second time, I realized that everything I'm reading, especially the things that are mentioned multiple times, are probably just issues that Marcus Aurelius is struggling with. I never struggle really with getting up early, so it's never in my journal. But there are other things I struggle with, and if you read through my journal, it will be very clear what they are, because I repeat them. So there are 12 books 
or chapters in Meditations. And only the first one to me is just completely different. Book one, the main focus is on giving thanks. He goes through everyone that has impacted his life, such as teachers, his family, his friends, and it really kind of sets up this painting for what kind of man Marcus Aurelius is. The terms that he uses to describe what he's thankful for are morals, piety, beneficence, manly character, endurance, education, abstinence, and temperance. These terms also kind of point out what he values. He mentions being acquainted with the discourses of Epictetus, which are, in my opinion, you know, a little better than the golden sayings that we discussed in the, in the previous video. So he would start to study Stoicism at a young age. And we also have to remember that this journal is being written by literally the most powerful man in the world at the time. And the fact that an emperor is looking back and giving thanks to all these people who had literally created him and who had molded him into the person he is, to me, that's just, that's a really noble act. And for fathers out there, book one, you can call it verse 16, Marcus describes what he's thankful for uh, in his father. And I will not read it here. It's a, it's a little long, but new dads need to read it slowly, thoroughly, and I would even say often. And honestly, it's a good one for moms too. Heck, it's honestly how we should just all strive to live. Let's move to book two. The main focus of book two is on productivity and not procrastinating. He starts out the book with the famous line, begin the morning by saying to thyself, I shall meet with the busybody, the ungrateful, arrogant, deceitful, envious, unsocial, because they are ignorant of what is good and evil. It's the crazies you meet at school or that you work with. It's the insane driver on Highway 16 passing a bus as it stopped. It's the angry customer. It's the messed up order. You will meet all these people daily. They're not going anywhere. You have to learn to deal with them. He goes on to say, Since it is possible that thou mayest depart from life this very moment, regulate every act and thought accordingly. We all know this. Someone you're close to dies and it hits you hard. And for a couple days, you realize how fragile life is. And then just a little bit later, you're back to going through the motions and wasting your time. He says here, you can't lose the past or the future. You only can lose the present. You have no more control of the past. Sure, you can, you can learn from it. And what about the future? or the success of the future. It hinges solely on what you are doing in the present. You technically own the present because you have free will. You can do whatever you want to do because the present is the same for all. The problem is we have to deal with the consequences and the results of our present actions in the future. So you have to act appropriately in the present. This book also contains the five violences of the soul, which I'll read them out to you real quick. I think they're pretty cool. Uh, the first violence is becoming an abscess or a tumor to the universe. Do not be a negative force in the world. Two is when the soul turns away or does evil to another man. Be kind, considerate, and respectful. Three, when the soul does violence to itself through pleasure and pain. Overeating and drug abuse feel good in a moment, but in the end, it destroys the soul. Number four, being insincere or dishonest and lying. Don't lie and strive to be humble. And number five, when the soul moves through life aimlessly. Find a cause or a purpose for good and just stay focused. Let's move on to book three. Book three focuses on accepting your lot in life and exploring who you are. And it also has some pretty good lines in it. One I like is, do not waste the remainder of thy life in thoughts about others. We have to really control what we think about and gatekeep what goes into our minds. He follows this with, a man should hold on to the opinion, not of all, but of those only who confessedly live according to nature. 
I like this because so many times we want the unjust people out there to like us. You still want to seem hip and cool around people that don't share the same values as you. Why do you try to fit in with people that you don't even respect? And I like to think like, don't let the opinion of the player tell you how outdated your marriage is. So you gotta be confident in what you believe and only respect the opinions of those who hold the same standard of living. Marcus says, a man then must stand erect, not be kept erect by others. If your standards are important to you, then you are responsible for keeping them at the level you set them at. It's not someone else's job. Book four contains a concept I wish they would teach more in schools. He says, For nowhere, either with more quiet or freedom from trouble, do a man retire than into his own soul. He says, And I affirm that tranquility is nothing else than the good ordering of the mind. Constantly then give thyself this retreat and renew thyself. It is everyone's duty to put their mind in order daily and to at least get it in good order weekly. It will help your happiness, your peace, your decision-making, and your relationships. You have to take some time to find a place to do this. If you need to build it somewhere, do it, because the outcome of your future literally depends on how well you order your mind today. And I also can't express how important this concept is to your mental health. Take a second to sit down in silence and unpack all these boxes that need to be unpacked. Be honest, be patient, be thorough, and it can be glossed over very quickly, but I think this is the major concept of this entire book of meditations. Marcus Aurelius, through the repetition of all these sayings, is just ordering his mind. This is all his meditations are. And sorry to beat a dead horse, I just I see so many people struggling with this. So take some time to understand yourself and repair your thoughts. All the relationships around you will benefit if you can just put your mind in a good order. Another good line is... How much trouble he avoids who does not look to see what his neighbor says or does or thinks, but only to what he does himself, that it may be just and pure. This made me think, and I don't mean to get a little political here, but this made me think of the Republican national debates here recently. When the moderator asked the entire group to raise their hands if they would support Trump if he got the nomination, immediately one hand went straight up, but the others, DeSantis, Haley, all started to kind of look around and see who was raising their hand. That one hand is spotted, and then gradually all the others start to raise their hand. And everybody on the stage is raising their hand after five seconds. That five seconds showed me more about the character, leadership, and confidence of everybody up there than the entire rest of the debate. He says, look not around at the depraved morals of others, but straight along the line without deviating from it. I love that. And there's also a more of a famous line in book four as well that goes, be like the promontory, which is just a natural elevation like a rock or, or a cliff in, in, into the ocean, against which the waves continually break, but it stands firm and tames the water around it. This, I feel, is one of my main roles in my family. My emotions, and my actions have to be kept in check. Because if I'm flying off the handle, getting loud, arguing, yelling, then clearly those waves are just rocking me. You have to ground yourself and be that force that your family can cling to and find strength in. It's listening when needed. It's seeing the dishes piled up in the sink and just knocking them out. It's waking up early to make sure everybody is getting to where they need to get on time. The rock is not assertive, it's not loud, it's not aggressive, and the rock is never angry. It's steadfast and it's peaceful. It looks out at the torrents and the chaos of life and it just gently smiles, knowing that it can handle any wave 
that life throws at it. The men I have known in life that I respect most are not the ones with fancy watches or cars or that can fight or that can curse the loudest. It's the ones that have been able to walk into a chaotic scene and start to put everything back in order. They calmly and gently start to create order out of all the chaos that's around them. Those men are needed more than ever nowadays. As parents, it is our duty to give our children the tools and the resources needed to be that rock someday. Because honestly, nothing is better than both parents having the capability to be that rock when it's needed. Book five starts with struggling to get out of bed. Depending on where you're at in life, you will most likely go through a phase where you struggle to get out of bed. You may not be excited about the day, or you may not have duties yet that require your early attention. Marcus says it is our duty, it's everyone's duty, to go out and make order out of the day. I love that. Make things better. Improve your surroundings. Uh, work your job. If you're fortunate enough to have your own business, go out and improve society. The bee provides honey. The cow provides milk. The garden provides vegetables. I mean, how fortunate you are to even wake up today. So let's just order it the best we can. There are two lines. One, nothing happens to any man which he is not formed by nature to bear. And two, that which is an obstacle on the road helps us on this road. Whereas you are probably familiar with, the obstacle is the way. These two lines are connected, and, and I like them. I, I thought a lot about them while I was reading this. We have eliminated many of the hardships of nature over the past few decades. By doing this, I believe there is going to be a price we will eventually pay. You see, there's not too many obstacles in our way to the essential things in life, such as food and water and stuff like that. You turn a faucet, you open a fridge, it's all there. So the things we bear nowadays are trivial compared to just a hundred years ago. In the past, nature had a way of equipping and molding you into the person that was capable of handling it. But I fear the cloak of comfort that we've kind of wrapped ourselves in over the past 80 years, if that's ever pulled away, I don't know if we're really capable of bearing what was considered the norm back then. Because honestly, nature hasn't really had a chance to mold us. And the big obstacles in life have all been kind of removed. Our roads nowadays are paved with yellow bricks. And they're kind of sprinkled with these first world trifles. And that's a rabbit hole I could go down. But let's go into book six. Book six has a good line right in the beginning. The best way of avenging thyself is not to become like the wrongdoer. It has been in me to stoop down into the gutter and act stupid in the past. It's hard to take the high road, to walk away from angry words, and to not return a push with a punch. Like that night in Virginia Beach with a good friend after some hefty libations. He says, Accustom thyself to attend carefully to what is said by another, and as much as is possible, be in the speaker's mind. I struggled with this when I was younger. I've gotten better, but even some days, if, if I'm depending on the mood, I... I struggle to listen 100%. Giving someone 100% of your focus is hard, especially nowadays with, with all the distractions that we have. So it's definitely a good one to keep in my journal and uh, keep working on. Book seven, right off the bat, a good line is mentioned. How can our principles become dead unless the impressions or the thoughts which correspond to them are extinguished? I read this line to my wife uh, tonight, actually, and we discussed it for a little bit. It's one of the most important ones, and if you need to go back and read it again, it's important to a free-thinking and a republic-based society. And I believe this is what's destroying our young people's minds today. When schools and organizations no longer discuss, promote, mention, or have conversations on principles such as patriotism, love of family, respect for elders, parents, and morals, then like Marcus said, your principles become dead. And when the 
majority of the population no longer share the same principles, a republic really can no longer function, and we can't allow that to happen. And honestly, that can be an entire separate video. And let me know in the comments if you'd like me to dive into a subject like that. I would love to expand on that, but we got to move on. Let not future things disturb thee, for thou wilt come to them, if it shall be necessary, having with thee the same reason which now thou uses for present things. I was a project manager for a while, and after a few years I realized the problem gets solved every time. I may have to spend more time on it. I may have to throw some more resources at it, spend some more money on it. I may have to explain a bad situation to a customer, but every project would eventually get solved. It got to a point where I didn't care how hard the project was going to be because I knew with reason, resources, asking questions that eventually I would figure it out. Moving into book eight, another great line is this one here. Thou sufferest this justly for thou choosest to become good tomorrow than be good today. Or like I kind of like to rephrase it, tomorrow you become, but today you can actually be. Tomorrow you can start to run, but today you can lace up your shoes and you can start right now. Starting tomorrow is always a good way to justify your bad decisions today. And I'm speaking of myself here. I do this all the time. I procrastinated making this video for the past two days. And procrastination is a heck of a bad habit to break. He says, wipe out thy imagination by often saying to thyself, now is in my power to let not badness be in thy soul, nor desire, nor any perturbation at all. We have to control what goes in to our minds. It literally can be the difference between a happy and healthy life and one of anger, greed, and comparison. Temperance to your imagination is important. You should definitely let it run wild on positive things, creativity, and positive ideas, but there needs to be a hard stop when it comes to destructive thoughts or ideas. And this leads in perfectly to the next statement. Therefore, the mind which is free from passions is a citadel for man has nothing more secure to which he can fly for refuge and for the future be inexpugnable. Inexpugnable means incapable of being overcome, challenged, or refuted. Uh, if you can control your thoughts, monitor the inputs that are going into your head, organize what is upstairs here, then you will create a citadel that can't be overcome. And I don't understand why this is not taught more in schools and stuff. It's such an important concept of living a good and content life. And again, this is all this journal is to Marcus Aurelius. This is his citadel. It was not meant to be easily read or edited perfectly. This entire book is just him organizing his mind, and, and that's what I love about it. Moving into book nine, set thyself in motion, if it is in thy power, and do not look about thee to see if anyone will observe it, nor yet expect Plato's Republic. How you do things when no one is watching tells a lot about who you are as a person. It is easy nowadays to use social media or to create a YouTube channel and post all the amazing works and great deeds you're doing. But what are you doing when the camera's off? And let me just say here, I would highly suggest reading Plato's Republic. It's referenced so much um, in meditations, on podcasts, in movies, that terms such as like the Philosopher King, you won't really understand what they're meaning when you hear that unless you've read The Republic. It's in the form of a dialogue, so it's really easy to read. I found it very simple to read. And I grew up down here in the public school system of Louisiana. So believe me when I say the rest of the population can easily digest this book. Also here in book nine, we get a glimpse of Marcus Aurelius questioning things rather forcefully. He says, enough of this wretched life and murmuring in apish tricks. Why are thou disturbed? What is there new in this? What unsettles thee? Who is he talking to? We have to remember he's warring with the Germanic tribes up there right now while he's writing most of this. And he's actively in the location of the enemy. He's not just sitting home at Rome writing all this stuff. He's actively there at the scene. So to me, I kind of read this and I 
I realized that not every day was a peaceful meditation for Marcus Aurelius. He's going through some struggles right now. Moving into book 10, the life of a citizen is happy, who continues a course of action which is advantageous to his fellow citizen and is content with whatever the state may assign him. These videos I am creating here, I truly find joy in reading these books and making them. The hope is to improve society around me. And it's amazing that something so simple can just bring you so much joy. It's kind of like that quote from Jordan Peterson, be a force for good in the world and that will be the adventure of your life. Also, one of the more famous lines in meditations is found in book 10. No longer talk at all about the kind of man that a good man ought to be, but be such. I love that. I feel this way about Christianity sometimes. We get so focused on telling everybody how they should live that we actually forget to live how we're telling everybody to live. And my ideas of a man and the duties of a man may be different than your ideas of a man. And we could argue all day about who is right, but Marcus says, stop, just be a good one. I love that. In book 11, he continues the discussion on a man. That to be moved by passions is not manly, but that by mildness and gentleness, as they are more agreeable to the human nature, so also are they more manly. And he who possesses these qualities possesses strength, nerves, and courage, and not the man who is subject to fits of passion and discontent. Nothing is more unmanly than a man who can't control his temper and keep his anger in check. Calmness under stress, taking accountability, and being respectful, that's what I want to see in a man. It reminds me of that poem, uh, If, by Rudyard Kipling. He says in it, If you can keep your head... When all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. And if you have young children, I'd highly encourage you to make it a point to have them memorize that poem. It's, it, it, it's a great one. And honestly, memorize it yourself. You're never too young or old to commit good knowledge to memory. There are nine rules included in book 11, and it's about two pages long, so I won't go through them all. But they're really good to go over and, you know, just kind of compare to how you're living. And if you need to adjust anything, so be it. Book 12, the last book, there's a line that I sat here and I thought about for a bit. He says, how worthless everything is after which men violently strain. Such a good line to reflect on. Most of us have jobs to pay for a bunch of stuff we really don't care about and truly doesn't make us happy. But yet every day we strain away in pursuit of these worthless things. Just makes you think sometimes. The fourth to last paragraph sums up Marcus Aurelius' thoughts and it sums up meditations in my opinion. He says, how small a part of the boundless and unfathomable time is assigned to every man, for it is very soon swallowed up in the eternal, and how small a part of the whole substance, and how small a part of the universal soul, and on what a small clod of the whole earth thou creepest, reflecting on all this, consider nothing to be great, except to act as nature leads thee, and to endure that which the common nature brings. You are all allotted only a small time on this earth, and that time is passing quickly. How little we are on this earth. Out of all the souls, you're just one. And that little piece of real estate that you live in, you won't touch foot on the vast majority of the earth. You're just a blip on the radar. Nothing truly matters in life except to live a life that is just and good and to be able to endure whatever the world throws at you. The end. That is the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. I truly hope you enjoyed my ramblings on meditations by Marcus Aurelius. It's a remarkable book. And it's not made to be read just once. And it does not have to be read all at one time. Pick a couple pages and digest them over a couple days, over a couple weeks. Pick a book or two and just digest them a little bit at a time. Uh, maybe read through the whole book once a year. You're going to pick up something 
every year that's a little bit different as you grow. Reflect, apply, evaluate, repeat. If you enjoy these videos, please consider subscribing to my channel. This helps the videos get out and I would love to grow this channel and have more people following along into the classics. It's so cool to hear from some of y'all in the comments as I see that some people have started to read these, you know, through this set too. And then you're providing your feedback and I've learned a ton from some of you down there. And I, I really appreciate that. It's really, it's opened my eyes to a deeper learning of these these classics. And I, I truly appreciate that. And if you enjoy coffee just as much as you enjoy reading, then I would highly suggest you go down into the link in the description and check out my coffee. I roast it, I source it, I package it, everything, and then I ship it out to you with love. So the link to my website is in the description below. You can use the code, the cause, all lowercase, for a 15% discount on your first order. With that being said, I love y'all. Stay blessed. Drink some amazing coffee. Read some amazing books. And I'll see you next week. Love y'all. I was making lots of noise busking on the city streets. I came back from Brooklyn, but you didn't come back for me.